Hello and welcome to the Damn Fine Life podcast with Rinku Madan. I'm Gaurav Kapoor and I am here to introduce this show which is a unique and exclusive take on luxury hospitality from across the globe. Now I am fascinated by luxury hospitality just as much as you are, which is why I'm super excited about this show because it's not just about the business of hospitality, but it's also about stories, journeys, histories, insights, a peek behind the curtain, if you may. from the world of luxury hospitality so let's dive straight in powered by sonever resorts and residences marquesi di barolo wines and the lila palaces hotels and resorts brought to you by dan hotels israel shale hotels limited hotel kempinski indonesia fratelli wines and taf reverse your fat in partnership with our season partners postcard hotels a collection of intimate and bespoke luxury hotels hidden in holiday destinations across india and the world the postcard hotels combine luxury with simplicity helping you retreat to a life that is luxurious simple unhurried and filled with rich discoveries easy diner the one stop platform for the most enjoyable authentic and friction free table booking experience instant confirmations and amazing deals on food and beverage in over 150 cities in india and now in dubai too jet hq the world's most trusted aircraft sales with deep industry knowledge real time data and market analysis by dedicated professionals an aircraft brokerage company with headquarters in the united states jet hq's experience and international expertise allow them to serve you 24/7 across the globe in almost every time zone a one stop solution for sale and purchase of pre-owned aircrafts I'm so privileged to be speaking with someone who's literally turning the world of luxury hospitality inside out. Ronan Nissenbaum, he is the president and CEO of Dan Hotels Israel. He has really taken luxury and lifestyle to another level. His hotels are an experience to be at. The Dan Hotels are a chain of Israeli luxury hotels that were established in 1947. Today they own 18 hotels with 3669 rooms, a convention center, a hotel training center, and the latest one being at Bengaluru which is a 226 room hotel. Dan Hotels are known for its elaborate food and drinks, for its amazing suites, and of course also for its wellness. Ronan has been the senior vice president of the Marina Bay Sand Singapore. He has worked for the Intercontinental Hotel Group for 13 years in countries like Paris, Berlin, Tel Aviv, Atlanta, etc., etc., and has served as their regional vice president for North America as well. He also served most recently as the president and CEO of the very prestigious Plaza Group. He is too modest to say that some hotels under his purview are amongst and on the list of the leading hotels of the world list. Ronen Nissenbaum, you are an inspiration and an icon and I'm so thrilled to be speaking with you. Hello and welcome to my show. Uh, thank you and you can't see that I'm blushing from all those compliments. Thank you. There was so much more. Trust me, I had to I had to squeeze this in as little as possible. Thank you very much, Rinku. 
So tell us something. Uh, two of your hotels, like I mentioned earlier, the King David Jerusalem and the Dan Tel Aviv, are amongst the leading hotels of the world. So tell us about this. Yeah, the leading hotels of the world. We've had the relationship with them for many years at the King David uh, and the Dan Dan Tel Aviv, which we recently renovated, returned to the leading hotels of the world list. This is a list of about 400 hotels worldwide that typically are the best in the cities that they're in. The King David in itself is a is a historical building. Uh, it has a tremendous history, and any president uh, or or head of country that has visited Israel. Uh, whether it's kings, queens, presidents, prime ministers, foreign ministers, anybody that's anybody stays at the King David. It is the preeminent hotel in Jerusalem. Its location is fabulous. Its view of the old city is amazing. The grounds with the pool and the and the deck and the uh, and the restaurant are are seriously a bucket list item for anybody visiting Israel. And and it's not only that. It's stars and, and very high uh, the high end individuals that. Come to Jerusalem for either religious reasons, uh, uh, tourist reasons, or political reasons. People coming to visit the government—they all stay at the uh, at the King David. So that is a that is a, a what we call the old palace style hotels. Just like the Plaza is in New York, the Waldorf Astoria in New York, the Ritz in Paris, these hotels are iconic and uh, stand alone almost by themselves, and the, and they they deserve to be part of the leading hotels of the world. Tell us something about the original 1930s Ketedan, which is now a Dan hotel, right? Well, the company uh, started in 1947 with Ketedan when the brothers Fetterman. There were two brothers Fetterman that basically bought this small little pension of 12 or 18 rooms, and I'm sitting not far away from the original hotel. They bought. The hotel, and this is a year before the country was formed in 1948, in May of 1948. So we're a year older than the state of Israel as a company, and that was the first hotel. Today, the Dan Tel Aviv sits on the same grounds as what the Kette Dan, which actually in German Kette means chain. The Dan chain, but at the time, the reason they used the Kette Dan is the original owner. Her name was Catherine, mm -hmm. and Kette was her nickname. So Kette Dan uh, was actually today. It's the chain Dan. Uh, it no longer exists except for a meeting room at the Dan Tel Aviv. And the Dan Tel Aviv was the first hotel. The King David Hotel was then bought by the Fettermans, the Dan Acadia and Herzliya. Uh, the Dan Kesaria from the Rothschild family was bought and the golf course was bought then after. And slowly but surely, the company grew from one hotel in 1947 to about 13 hotels in 2017 when I arrived. So within a year, we moved from 13 to 15 hotels. Um, that was the link in Tel Aviv and and the and the, bang, uh, the den in Bengaluru. Then I I bought three hotels. We bought three hotels in Israel, and we moved to 18 hotels. I further signed two management deals and and a lease. So we are now uh, now up to 21 hotels from the 13 hotels that we were four years ago. So we're not only 21 hotels, but we also have the second largest catering company. In Israel called Edit. Uh, we also manage the the VIP lounges at the airport, the club lounges, which people when they fly they go through. And we also have a hotel gastronomical school where we teach the next generation the gastronomical side of the business. Amazing, amazing! This is so much great work. Okay, so at a very young age, you were inspired by your uncle who managed some very famous properties in New York, right? That's correct. 
Well, my uncle started his career, funnily enough, at the Dan Hotels. He was the first, the opening front office manager of the Dan Acadia and Herzliya. And then he moved to the to United States, uh, first with Sonesta, and then started uh, running hotels for many years, the St. Regis in New York, the Palace in New York, the Fairmount in San Francisco. My father was working for the airline business, so we had great standby tickets, free tickets to fly anywhere we wanted. And then obviously we went to wherever we we would get free accommodation, which would be with my uncle. So many of our vacations were at my uncle's hotels. And both my brother and I fell in love with the business. Uh, my brother is six years older. He's also in the business. He's the managing director of the Peninsula in Beverly Hills. Funnily enough, 40 years later, we're both in the business. So that is how you you were so inspired by him to to get into the same line of work. It, the, you know, the inspiration came more from the the life. Uh, you know, when we were kids, we watched my my uncle walk around the St. Regis and have lunch with uh, Salvador Dali because he was a, pr- a permanent guest there. And, you know, you see all the VIPs and all the stars walking in and you're welcoming them and you're welcoming presidents and prime ministers and very interesting people. And then you're dining and whining and you're meeting these guests from all over the world. I think both my brother and I understood quite early that we wanted to travel the world. We wanted to be global citizens. Uh, we wanted to learn about cultures. We wanted to speak different languages. And it just seemed very natural that the hotel business would afford us that kind of career. This is a very interesting thing which I came across while doing my research on you, that you had apparently installed six beehives and a homegrown garden on the 20th floor of your hotel, just so that you could have your guests experience a roof-to-table um, sort of an experience it's true. This is the Waldorf Astoria in New York. We it was uh, it was an enormous 1.6 million square foot building with 1,400 rooms. So I had multiple roofs, and one of the roofs that was uh, more easily accessible uh, for the kitchen and for the guest uh, was on the 20th floor of one of the several buildings uh, that that consists the Waldorf Astoria. Now it's it's been closed for the last five years. Uh, and they're renovating it and creating condos and another hotel. But at the time that I was there, we had, uh, as you said, several beehives that we created and and um, and also a garden. So a, a garden where we uh, had uh, tomatoes and cucumbers and and our herbs and strawberries. Uh, it was large enough for us to create this garden. And the beehive bees were one of them. And what they created was obviously honey. Mm. And uh, we had a specialist come and help us. And not only that, there was a competition between several hotels that had the same idea. And every year we would have a a honey competition. We'd bring in three or four uh, specialists that taste. It's like a, a wine expert. So there was a bee a honey expert, and we would do tastings of the honey and see which hotel had the best honey. Now, they're all in the same city, so it depends on where the bees go and, and eat, and uh, and they they collect their pollen. But uh, it was a very interesting concept, and what we would do then, we would, we would basically merchandise the honey. Not only would we use the honey and whatever was growing on the roof, we would then have little amenities of little honey pots from the Waldorf Astoria that we would put as VIP amenities to our guests, or we would have the honey in our buffet on the very famous brunch where we'd say this is the Waldorf Astoria honey. And it was, you know, it wasn't just saying it was Waldorf. It was really bees that lived at the Waldorf Astoria. So what makes Dan Hotel so unique? 
first of all, it's a family-owned, uh, even though we're publicly traded on the stock exchange, it is majority family-owned. And it's the third generation of this family that is currently, you know, coming up through the ranks. So the brothers that opened the Ketadan back in 1947, their children, their sons, which are now cousins, they're the chairman and the vice chairman of the company. Mickey Fetterman is the chairman and, and Ami Fetterman is the vice chairman. And at least three of their children, one on Ami's side and two on Mickey's side, are currently involved in the company. That makes it unique in today's world. Secondly, we're unique in the sense that I mentioned earlier that we own 95% of our properties. Uh, we're very low leveraged, fully own our properties. We own our brand. So the King David is our brand. Uh, the Dan is our brand. Dan Panorama, the Link Hotel and Hub, which is our new cool brand, is our brand. And we manage our hotel. So we are a one-stop shop, which is quite unique in nowadays. There's there Most of the large companies, as you know them, as Marriott and Hyatt and Intercontinental, they do not own properties any longer. If they do, it's one or two or three. They're more a franchising company yes. where they sell their brand. And some of them are stronger in the management, but they don't have all three stool or legs to the stool. The stool of owning, managing, and branding, very few companies do. We are asset heavy, we manage and we brand our properties. We're a one-stop shop. That makes us unique. If uh, I would also say that anybody coming to Israel, you'll experience Israel through us. If you stay at one of my previous companies at the Hilton or the Intercontinental, you won't feel like you're in Israel. You will feel like you could be in London, in New York, you could be in the hotels themselves. I think our the hotels that we have are very Israeli. They feel Israeli when you go in. Uh, the food, the, the, the atmosphere, the ambiance. So if you're looking for an experiential vacation where you really feel and uh, are connected to Israel when you come here, I think choosing a hotel chain like Dan is the right way to go. So what's next for business in the future? You know, I'm, I'm very optimistic about the future. I think that, you know, some people are very doom and gloom about uh, COVID and about uh, the world will never go back to where it was. Uh, we've been through so many crises in our life. Uh, as we get older, we get, I hope, a little bit wiser. And we understand whether it's wars, whether it's uh, conflicts, whether it's health crises. People will just have to take into account that it's a bit more complicated, whether you need to do PCR checks before you travel or you need to have your vaccinations and you have to have that information before you travel. I think travel will come back with a roar. I think business Uh, yes, will be changed to a little bit more hybrid, but I don't see people staying at home in their pajamas working. There will be some hybrid and people staying at home and working a little bit more from home. But I think the vast majority of businesses will come back to work in offices. I think the vast majority of businesses will, will travel again because there's nothing like doing business, you know, face to face. And I know when I'm in person, I can get a deal done much better than if I'm doing it by phone or by yes. Zoom. Zoom is, is better than phone, but certainly much worse than face-to-face. -face. And I think, I think business will come back. So I think it may take a year, may take another two years, or maybe even another three years before we get back to what we experienced in 2019, which was a normal good year. But business will come back. Uh, and I foresee the Dan chain continuing to grow, maybe not as quickly as we did in the past four years, 
Uh, but we will continue to grow and hopefully develop more hotels in India, more hotels in the Europe, uh, new hotels in Europe and new hotels in the United States. Uh, I'm actively looking at opportunities. It's just, it's it became more complicated in the past year or two years with valuations, with the banks, with, uh, it's it's not been an easy time. Uh, but I think the, the coming few years will be filled with development and growth for many, many countries, many, many companies. And I'm very optimistic about the future. You know, your culinary program is supposed to be very innovative. So tell us something about the culinary program. Uh, the culinary program in Israel, especially over the last uh, year or two years during the COVID, has developed quite significantly. And what we did was we we connected the best chefs in Israel, uh, the most celebrated and famous restaurants and their head chefs. And we did weekends, culinary weekends, where the chef of one restaurant from Tel Aviv would then uh, do a culinary weekend in one of our hotels in Haifa. And the best chef in Jerusalem, uh, in the best restaurant in Jerusalem, would then do a culinary weekend in Tel Aviv. We then in the second year, so a year into COVID, we decided to further that and do not only culinary weekends, but combine the culinary weekends with culture. So we would add a show, uh, some of our uh, the, the the more famous groups in Israel, singers, uh, entertainers, uh, we'd have dinner and then we'd follow up that with a concert or a show or a, a musical event. And that has become our culinary repertoire. And by the way, some of them are not kosher. They don't serve kosher food, but we, when we bring them to our hotels, they then serve food kosher. So that allows the more religious, the kosher keeper to eat the food from this amazing restaurant. So it's kind of a niche that we've been able to enter uh, that, that opened up a whole world of new clients that would enter our hotels. Is the culinary school open now? Have you started taking in international students as well, or is it still... Uh... It's only local. The culinary school has been open for a few years. Um, it, it does two things. It has It's a high school. So people at the age of 14, 15 and 16 uh, enter it and do high school as well as culinary. And it also is open for those that have finished the military service. So after 21, 22 years old, for people that are looking to learn this as a vocation or older uh, people that are, are looking in the, in the second part of their career, uh, so we do courses for all three. So high school ages, post-military ages, and then older people that are looking for career change. Those are the three levels of courses that we've opened. And we've had thousands of graduates from our courses in the past in the past 10 years. But it's not open for, to international students. It is not. The only thing we do, first of all, there's you know, for the last year and a half, there's no international students yes, anyways. Yeah. So the, the school is is really only currently uh, allowing Israelis to come and study. But uh, there are programs such as Birthright, which bring in young Jewish Americans, young Jewish, to try to connect them to Israel. And the Birthright brings them to Israel for free. They give them like a week or two week of tour in Israel. They also come to our Dan Gourmet School, and they give them kind of, they teach them Israeli cooking. So that further connects them to the Jewish heritage, to the Jewish state, and gives them a, a connection. And now they've opened the program to non-Jews as well. So they say, you know, it's it's great to connect the Jews to Israel, but part of our biggest, biggest issue in the world, in, in Israel, is 
the deep understanding of the conflicts that we have here in Israel, the conflicts with our neighbors. And I think that these programs are trying to educate, give at least a side of the conflict that maybe you don't hear when you're living in India, when you're living in Russia, when you're living in uh, in, in England or in America. And I think it's an essential part of, you know, at least understand both sides of the equation because people tend to argue with very little facts and very little knowledge, only yes. what they read on the internet. And I think it is important to be able to give people facts, figures, and really give them good information and good so that they're less biased that they're really taking decisions on, on facts and figures. They do uh, give the Palestinian and the Arab side to the conflict. They give the Jewish side and the Israeli side to the conflict. And they, sh they try to be very objective in it so that the people that leave have a far better understanding of the conflict rather than the conflicts that they read online in some places that are very biased one biased, way or the yes. other. Apart from, you know, being face to face and, and you being able to kinch a deal, what is that one other tip that you would give that one could use to show shot seal a deal? For, for those entering the business, I think the, there is nothing more important than relationships. You know, that, that could make or break a deal. More so than another million or a less a million on a deal. I think when it comes to deal making, there's nothing more important than being eyeball to eyeball and feeling the other person on the other side, understanding, looking straight into their eyes and making sure that you feel comfortable. As we say, get together, you know, get into bed together. Uh, because once you do a deal, there is a relationship that is formed. There is trust that is created and, and then a reputation that gets created by, by your deal making. Uh, there's nothing more important than creating those relationships. And you could create relationships with people that for 20 or 30 years, there's absolutely nothing that comes out of it. And then in the 21st year or the 31st year, finally, a deal does get consummated. So if I was talking to young people going into the business, if I was talking to people that are a little bit more experienced, I tell them there's nothing more important than, you know, obviously behaving in a business uh, a ethical a uh, way that that creates a reputation that people can trust you. And secondly, it's about networking and making sure that you make an effort to keep in touch with people, to speak to people, to respect people. You know, a lot of people don't put as much emphasis on networking and keeping in touch as you did by keeping in touch with me after the opening. I think that's those are those are things that are important to not only meet new people, but to put a little bit of effort in keeping that relationship going, even when nothing happens from that relationship for years and years. So knowing that you never know where the next deal is coming from. You never know how a connection could come back and help you in the future. Uh, and I think that, you know, putting your emphasis on, on relationship building and keeping your network alive is one of the most important tips I can give people entering the business or going up that ladder in the business world or, or trying to close deals. Absolutely. I kept in touch. You left a lasting impression. I still remember the stories and the time you took out to speak with me. I mean, I think I was on the only journalist present there who you took time out for. So yes, absolutely. It was in, this is entirely my good luck. So now we go on to some rapid fire questions. Uh, these are going to be some short and sweet questions for you. So what are your current passions? Uh, I'm passionate about my family. It is my number one passion in life. 
It's my wife, Karen, who's been with me for almost 30 years now, but she's the most important person in my life. And family more broadly, my children, my sister, my brother, my mother. I think uh, at the end of the day, the family becomes the most important thing in your life. The, the second passion for me is free time and vacationing. Uh, and when I do that, it's usually with the family and skiing would be my number one sport where I feel I feel the best when I'm doing that. So when you travel so much, what is it that you love doing? Are you are you a sightseeing sort of a person or I do you like to go and try out different foods, different restaurants? Well, what is what, what do you like to do when you travel? It's more experiential. Uh, when I travel to a new location, obviously, I'll do some sightseeing because I don't, I, don't, I don't understand the new location, but it is about experiencing the local culture, the local food. Uh, I want to be, you know, after living for a few years in Singapore, I wanted to really understand Singapore. And when I travel, uh, I've lived for 15 years in Europe, I really wanted to understand each location. So when I travel only for a week or two weeks, even though it may be business, I try to get out of the hotel and go see local uh, local attractions, to see local areas, to experience local restaurants, uh, to so that I can feel as though I've I've taken in some of that local culture and I can talk about and understand uh, the local culture a little bit better. So it is about more experiential. It's about, you know, I also like to go to hotels that are more local, like Dan is in Israel. Uh, I, I try not to use international hotel chains when I go to the local environment so that I can go to national and get, I tend to get a better understanding and a more authentic experience in a uh, nationally run hotel chain. Okay, so which is your favorite place or destination then? You've, you've been all over the world, is it? How many countries have you, have you visited so far? I have never counted, but I have been in Asia in multiple countries. In Europe, almost all the countries, Middle East, some. I've been here and I've been to Egypt and to Dubai and Abu Dhabi. Uh, I've been to Turkey, um, um, you know, so most of Europe, obviously the United States. So probably five of the six continents I visited, hard to say, 30, 40, 50 countries. So what is what would you say is your motto in life? You know, life is short. Maybe COVID has brought that home even more, that your health is the most important thing and life is short. And I think my, my motto, the, the people that are close to me and my family would know that I always see the bright side of things. I think life is too short to be miserable. Life is too short to be always focused on what you don't have and what's wrong with life. I think it's a horrible way to live, live your life. Okay, so whiskey or wine or any other spirit? Wine. Is fine. Wine? Okay. Red or white? Red. Okay. Okay. If there was a movie, if there were a movie to be made on your life, Wine. which one would it be? I guess two movies Red. or three movies. One of them, a movie that's called Pay It Forward. So do something good for somebody else because it creates a better world because that person will then pay it forward and do something good for somebody else. Mm -hmm. I love that concept. I think it, you don't do good because you expect something good from somebody else. You do good because you hope that that will create a positive wave and other people will do nice, good, positive things for somebody else. The other one that I love is the Bucket List uh, movie of don't wait till your deathbed to do your bucket list of things that you wish mm. you had done all your life, but do 
all the things that you can as quickly as you can because you never know when that time will your time will be over so if you want to do it do it who would you pick to play you in that movie i i don't know there's somebody that they kept they kept on saying that looked like me but it wasn't the compliment uh when i looked at him so i'm not going to say him to play me although he may look a little bit more like me okay so the last question is describe yourself in a hashtag don't worry be happy ah that's a good one so you know it was fabulous talking to you as always and um, i always get to learn so much i really enjoy having this chat with you always and um, thank you for bringing out this optimistic thing in me as well i really needed to hear that i'm going to keep that in mind and uh, like i said it was it was such a great time chatting with you thank you for being on my show oh it was a pleasure and uh, i look forward to listening to some of your podcasts 